This is Owen Sinner Jones. I'm Owen Vaughan Williams. This is Tash Harden. And you are listening to the Owen Sinner Podcast. Hello and welcome to an excitable, euphoric and celebratory Coleman Had a Dream podcast. I am here as ever with Ruth. Hello, Ruth. Hello from Oregon. Uh, I'm not going to bore you and tell you where Ruth is again. She's in the same place. Uh, let's be honest, you've not tuned in to hear us talk about Ruth's holiday this time. You tuned in to hear us talk about the fact that we're going to the Euros. Get in there! Yay! <laughs> Um, we're just obviously going to talk about the the two games and just uh, the amount of fun that everything has been over the last few days. Even going to school with a hangover for the last two days has been a great laugh. Um, and I'm sure Ruth has been having a, a good time over in Oregon as well. Yeah, more or less the same state of affairs over here. Excellent news. Um, we're also going to answer a load of your questions. Thank you very much for everyone who sent us in uh, some questions. We're going to go through those a little bit later on. I think the first port of call, Ruth, is just to congratulate everyone. Um, it was just an unbelievable night, an unbelievable performance, and I think everyone, uh, manager, fans, staff, uh, deserves a massive amount of credit. Can't argue with that. You know, We obviously don't do this very often, so anyone that's involved in getting us through this process and uh, safely navigated to the other side deserves a lot of praise. And I think you're right. It goes much further than the immediate management and coaching staff and those immediate players that were involved. Um, The fact that we've, you know, we've got some squad depth, we've got some um, succession, sort of succession planning going on with the teams. You look at the fact that the, you know, at the same time, the under 19s were qualifying for, the elite round that we've just won the victory shield you know there's there's so much positive going on what happened on tuesday evening is the most obvious manifestation of that but there just needs to be a whole lot of as you say congratulations very broadly why don't you tell us uh about your experience of watching the match and where you watched it and uh just how much of a great time you had really (laughs) <laughs> it was a bit strange because rather rather obviously there aren't many Welsh football fans over in, in Oregon. I would love to connect with anyone who's over here, by the way. Um, so I was in the State Park office where we are volunteering on their Wi-Fi because it's the only Wi-Fi in the area, uh, just trying to keep up with things, um, pacing around the room as best I could while still connected with my headphones. Um, one of the other volunteers came in and I had to try and explain to him what was going on. I think he kind of got the idea that we were making the playoffs. I I think we kind of got that far. Um, And then he asked me, well, so this will be the fourth time. And I'm going, yeah, this would be the fourth time. And, um, And he goes, well, how old is your team? And then when I said 1876, he just turned and ran. Um, so that was my experience. Lots of shouting at the room on my own, basically. Not I, very gregarious, but lots of fun nonetheless. I was in a fairly similar situation, In uh, apart from the fact that I had to... Uh, I like couldn't watch it live. I watched the match uh, about two or so hours after it had finished, I think. I had a meeting at work, which I just could not, despite my absolute best efforts, uh, escape from. So I recorded it, turned all my devices off. I didn't like reply to a work email for about four hours because I didn't want to risk anything coming through. And uh, 
recorded the match, came back, had a few beers and watched the game and obviously um, excited to say the least. The highlight, for those of you who might have seen it on Twitter, uh, I apologise for repeating myself, but halfway through the game, not long after we'd scored the second goal, I hear a knock, knock, knock on the front door of our apartment. And I was like, oh, bloody hell. Like, do people not know what's going on? This is ridiculous. Paused the game, sent Joy, my wife, to open the door. And there were three police officers there <laughs> stood at the front door. It's just like, is everything okay? We've been called in for a domestic disturbance. And we're like, oh, bloody hell. So I had no idea. So I just turned around to the door, wandered over to the front door with my bucket hat on, beer in one hand, and Griff, my lucky, cuddly toy stuffed a dragon uh, in the other. I was just like, oh, is everything all right? What's going on here? So, oh, we've been called to a domestic <laughs> disturbance, sir. And by this point, one of them is laughing like, this something's not right here. Um, a, th- a fourth one appears and he just says, oh, we've been, I've been watching you sat on the sofa for the last five minutes. You've got your curtains wide open, mate. I can see everything that's going on in your apartment. There's nothing going on here. The lady downstairs is going crazy. What's happened? So I just said, oh, well, I may be slightly excited. Wales are about to qualify for the Euros. It doesn't happen very often. And they started laughing and the policeman went, Wales? I love Gareth Bale. I was just like, there we go. We're all friends now, lads. Do you want to come in for a beer? No, no, probably not. Okay, okay. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that, that was my uh, slightly bizarre um, experience. And it didn't take anything away from it, to be honest. I was really glad I managed to come home and uh, Joy watched it with me and kind of had some beers and one or two tears and uh, called a few of my mates. Obviously spoke to Ruth as well. So it was uh, a very enjoyable evening, to say the least. Um to move on and actually talk about the two games, it's almost f- funny to think that the Azerbaijan game happened almost because that feels like so much other stuff has happened be- between then um, that it's almost bizarre in a way to talk about it. But talk about it, we will. Um, the big news, obviously, pre-game was Anne Ramsey not starting. No other real surprises um, team-wise apart from that Ash didn't play. I say no other real surprises. I wasn't particularly surprised. Um I mean, it seems like a, a silly question to ask, but how do you think the decisions worked out? Well, I mean, obviously they worked out fine. Um, I do think, I mean, I was worried. I won't pretend that I wasn't when I saw we weren't starting Ramsey. Um, I I remember in the last pod, almost as a, as a joking idea, I put forward the thought we might get a half from each from Bale and Ramsey, like in some weird friendly game. And obviously that's more or less how things, how things turned out. Um, I think there was clearly a risk in, in what was done. There was a risk in choosing Mepham over Ash. There was a, a risk in not starting Ramsey. Um, there was a risk in having Bale playing, uh, playing the game, given he was on two yellow cards Obviously, all of those worked out absolutely wonderfully, um, but I don't think um, don't think we can't acknowledge that there was there was some brave chances taken in deciding on that particular team. No, I agree. I mean, uh, fair play to Giggs. So, you know, some massive decisions and massive calls there, and you know, not starting Ramsey, I was particularly worried about, but. You know, it worked out absolutely fine, and it was it turned out to be a great decision, as as we all know. And I think he managed the situation perfectly, um, in terms of how much time Ramsey got, how much time Bale got, the fact that no one got booked, 
Um, and I think that was done in, in part down to the fact that the way we started the game, to be honest, I thought we started so positively, so well, um, and just kind of built and built from there. I mean, the first the first half was a, a very professional performance. I thought uh, we utilised our best chance, best, um, you know, brilliant corner. I mean, what a ball from Wilson that is. I mean, it, that's taken all the defence and the goalkeeper out, and then the ball's dropped about three feet away from the goal line just for someone to lump their head on and, and, and Moore's done superbly well to get over his marker um, and bury the ball and, and from there I just you know it was nervy because it's Wales but I don't really think we look back from there um, obviously Moore had another chance after that um, I don't want to be critical of anyone per se because I think everyone played so well over the two games, more especially has come in and kind of contributed so much. But one thing we did say, because Ruth and I kind of watched the game, I say together, um, we had face FaceTime open whilst we were watching the match. Um, we did say at the time, if he had someone else's feet to go with his heading ability, he'd be some player. Um, and it just made me think back to that one-on-one chance. Keeper's already committed, you know, pretty much on the floor. Um, and he just kind of blasted it straight at him. Do you think that sort of thing could be a bit of a concern for us moving forward in in terms of his finishing with his feet? Or do you think he's so strong in the air and the role he, he serves is so positive that that almost doesn't matter? I think the latter outweighs concerns about the former at the minute. Um, obviously, it would be great to see him with a little bit more direct ball control at his feet. Um but I think what he's contributing in terms of holding the ball up, uh, making, you know, often pulling two defenders towards him, giving everyone else a bit more space, the drop downs when he chests a, a ball and, you know, Ramsey running onto it, um, an outlet for Hennessy as well. I mean, Hennessy has a reasonably good long kick and, and we haven't been utilising that lately and, until the most recent game, the fact that he hasn't got great ball control with his feet basically I mean I think the, the chance you were talking about where he he fired fired it so you know low and straight into the legs of the of the keeper and it would really only needed a little chip over the top I mean I think that's the sort of thing that you can't work on you can work on keeping calm understanding your time I know in an interview he was saying that he just enjoys playing with with Wales so much because of the quality of players he's with, and he he can feel his own game improving through the quality of the players around him and what he's experiencing and what's been demanded of him as well. So perhaps you know, there's hope that that might improve. That aspect of his game might improve too. Yeah, I was only. I, I mean, I don't disagree. I was only asking the question more of a, a, a devil's advocate sort of situation, and I think the other qualities he kind of brings to the to the table far outweigh the occasional um, slip he might make with his feet. So, you know, I, I can't really complain in in that sense. Um, and overall, as you say, I think he he played very very well, and his contribution is is fantastic. As the game obviously progressed, we got the second goal through Harry Wilson. Absolutely brilliant strike by Dan James, so unlucky not to uh, to score himself, hitting the bar and then the post and coming out. But great following up by Harry Wilson. Um, and at that point, the game just felt done and dusted, really. Yeah, it did feel, even though, I mean, 2-0 up is one of those 
score lines that people say is always dangerous because there's sometimes some complacency sets in. And we did back off a little bit, but we never actually looked in any danger of of really conceding a goal, did we, in that game? No, not at all. Perhaps the, perhaps the closest to that was the, was the penalty shout. Yeah, I think... It was a strange one, that, wasn't it? Because at first viewing, I was just like, oh, come on, get on with it. Um, kind of had a bit of a funny angle of it, I guess, um, from from the TV. And then saw a replay, and we were saying straight away, oh, bloody hell, we've kind of got away with one a bit there. And there was one particular angle that I saw about 10 minutes later um, than the actual incident kind of happened in the match. And it was, to me, if that had been the other way around... I would have been absolutely furious that hadn't been given against us, to be honest, because it, to me, just the angle of his body and everything, I know everything happened very quickly, but I think we're a bit lucky there, I suppose, not to give away a pen. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think we've seen uh, less lesser ones given, as it were, um, particularly lately. Uh, so I think we, you know, as you say, we perhaps got lucky with that one. And then from there on in, really, it was kind of a professional performance in that we just did what we had to do to see the game out. Um, there was an argument that Wilson could have done a bit better with his chance in the second half, kind of on the edge of the box with his left foot, um, pulled it just a tiny bit wide, but it was a great effort. And I'd also say that Moore should have maybe done more, ironically, um, with a headed chance that he had. Um, but, I mean, we're talking about trying to add gloss to things there. There's no no complaints about the situation whatsoever. I thought everyone... Uh, Played played very very well, and we were talking afterwards. Who would our man of the match be? And we were both unanimous in in the performance supporting Joe Morell. Yeah, I think across both games he played incredibly well. Um, he is a little bit like we were just discussing with Moore. He's an he's another player who just seems to be able to do the basics of what their role demands very well. You know, there's no show, there's no flair, there's nothing particularly um, um, striking about his play beyond just the professional nature of doing what he's been asked to do. No, I, I totally agree. And I think the best thing about him is, and I think things overall, uh, especially in the last four games, has been the way that we've been organised to the extent that we play purely I think almost to people's strengths uh, and by that mm -hmm. I mean you know Morel isn't being asked to spray balls around the place and don't get me wrong he did it a couple of times and did it very very well but we're not looking for that type of player from him we're saying to him break up the play be a shield and um, and break things up and he's done that very very well indeed and he's got people around him in Ampadu uh, who can play those kind of ranging diagonal balls um, and Wilson and obviously further further through you're looking at Ramsey and people like that who can do that and, and I think we've really utilised the strengths of some of the players we have in our squad um, and Morel kind of typified that more than anyone Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more in terms of people actually playing to their strengths it was one of the things we were um, discussing in podcasts earlier in the year wasn't it the fact that we seem to be shoehorning players into the 11 as opposed to actually playing people to their strengths and to a system and obviously I think over the last four games that's something that's improved immeasurably. Absolutely um, was there anyone else you thought kind of stood out for you uh, during the game itself? 
I thought Mepham, in fairness, I mean, I, I was advocating for Ash to play, but I thought Mepham, in fairness, given he's, he hasn't played for, what, about any game for time for about six weeks, um, played very well. He and Lockyer didn't have to, to do very much. Um, ben Davies, just a, a little bit like we were saying about Morel, just kind of does his stuff with consummate ease, doesn't get the plaudits he should, but you know, he had another excellent game. I mean, the highlight for me was just seeing Ramsey on the pitch, though, and just get, you know, seeing seeing him in a red shirt again and, and knowing that, OK, what this might mean for Tuesday's game was probably the highlight for me. No, I agree with you. We had a, a tweet, actually, I was asking for questions uh, from people on Twitter today, and we had a tweet from Obsession Football uh, who were asking about, you know, what do we think about the understated importance of Ben Davis? And, that, and you know, as you've just said there, that, that is exactly it. He is understated, but so, so important. And his performance, I thought, was great and linked well with um, with Dan James. And we've talked about that being an issue before. And I thought that partnership certainly improved. Um, and overall, just uh, an outstanding performance. And, and you can see the reaction after the Hungary game as well. There's a video that the FAW have tweeted out today about him kind of like screaming, punching the ground, like sheer emotion and joy on his ha- on his face afterwards and it, it just makes you see how much it means to him as well which kind of explains a lot about his performance and kind of what he gives um to, to Wales and and just everything about the quality of his play but also his attitude toward things as well yeah no I, I imagine he's going to be a captain before too much longer yeah I agree and he's relatively young I think he's what 28 I think 26, 28, something like that? No, he's, I think he's only 26, yeah. Oh, well, there you are. That makes me feel even older. Um, one final thing for Kiefer Moore, because we've talked about him a, a couple of times. I'm a huge fan, and this got pointed out to me on Twitter yesterday, of him celebrating goals before they've actually gone in. <laughs> and I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a few things. Like the one, the Dan James hitting the bar and then the post and it coming out to Wilson. I can understand him celebrating that one early because, you know, Wilson's there, he's going to tap it in. But um, before Bale scores against Croatia, for example, if you look at the video, in the background of the video, Morel just stands perfectly still with his arms in the air. Like, Bale's got to go round Lovren, take an extra touch and beat the keeper. And he's just stood there the whole time with his hands in the, hands in the air, celebrating. And if there's a little video that someone put out of all all the goals that have been scored in the Giggs era. And if I've been trying to look out in the background of them and there are two or three where he, before anything has even happened or someone's pulled their leg back to strike the ball, he's just stood there celebrating with his hands in the air. It's absolutely <laughs> tremendous. So I would advise you to go and dig out some of those videos on Twitter, everybody. It's uh, absolutely brilliant. Um, to move on, I think we've said everything we want to say about the, the Azerbaijan game, Ruth. Yeah, I think... Um one thing that just struck me, we haven't really touched, was the fact that James was on two yellow cards and, yeah, it wasn't particularly protected and um, and subbed off. And I just I just found that interesting uh, in Giggs's thinking because I think James has felt like one of the kind of chosen protected ones, as it were. And I did find it interesting that he wasn't protected from the risk of a of a third a third yellow. I uh, I know what you mean. I think he f- he felt that he could gamble a bit with him, in that mm-hmm. he could have done something to kind of win the game and and change it round on on Saturday if we'd have needed it. But equally, he would have known that he was probably going to drop Harry Wilson for Ramsey to come back into the game. 
meaning that if he'd have picked, if James had picked up another yellow card and would have missed the game, he would have known it's actually not the end of my world because I've I've got Harry Wilson in my pocket, who's great at set pieces. He's obviously mm-hmm. not Dan James fast, but it's still fast. He's got a great shot on him. He's can offer us something different were he to play out, out wide as well. So I think that was his logic, is that he could afford to gamble a little bit more there because he knew, relatively speaking, that he still had some form of um, protection for himself and the team in Harry Wilson should he need it for the, for the Hungary game. Yep, makes sense. So... To move on to the Hungary game, um, I need to stop saying these things, but I was surprised that Ampadu <laughs> didn't get the start. Uh, so I just think it's just the way it's just going to be now. I've just got to shut up. I just think it, you know, uh, it was it was a good decision. Like, let's be honest, Morel played brilliant against Azerbaijan and was obviously great uh, against Hungary as well. But again, I really like the planning element of it. You know, I was surprised that Ampadu didn't start. But it was obviously planned that Morel was going to play. I think he played 55, 60 minutes. And at that point, it was just like, right, switch it up. Let's go and press them in midfield now. Let's take them to the game again. Uh, the game to them again. Um, which I thought was great and, you know, shows how well planned through everything was. Um, and bizarrely, it was the first start of the entire campaign for Aaron Ramsey. Yeah, go to what you were saying about Ampadu, I, I remember when we were chatting about the game or after the game on Tuesday, you made the point that, you know, perhaps using him for the last, say, 30 minutes of a game where he can run everybody else ragged as, as their legs tire might actually be a really good use of him as opposed to using him at the start of the games and subbing it, him off after kind of 50 or 60 minutes, which is what we've done in the last few. No, um, I, I thought sorry. the balance... I thought the balance of Alan and, and Morel was interesting. I think in my head, I'd kind of pictured them as almost two alike to play together. But actually, I think they complemented each other really well. And Alan obviously understands Ramsey's game so well that that connection was, you know, is well established and we, we, there was no fears there. So that I thought it was an interesting decision, given how well Morel played on Saturday, it would have been harsh to drop him. And we said so much in the little Twitter recordings we, we put out, didn't we, that it would have been harsh. But I think that's what we were all expecting. So again, you know, an unexpected but well-taken decision. No, um, sorry, go on. I and yeah, just on, on the second point, just seeing, you know, Bale, Anne Ramsey, Anne Allen, Davies, you know, lined up together in a game, you just immediately, there's a kind of ease of the tension to that, isn't it? Somehow when it's just like, okay, we've actually got, we can put our best foot forward finally. And our best foot is pretty damn impressive. So I think that enabled, I think just the kind of the ability to relax a little bit and not get fraught and frustrated and overplay uh, is so much better when we've when we've got those all those players in the lineup no i i couldn't agree more and you know it says a lot that the first time they all played together in the whole thing um in terms of alan bale and ramsey and, and you know it showed that the first goal um was those three through and through pretty much alan won the ball went past someone okay went to roberts but then straight to bale 
went down the line cutting what a ball what a header um before we get down go down to the to the goals and everything else um just a quick word for the anthem because that was just spine tingling i think is probably an insult i think it was absolutely phenomenal um and the the atmosphere in there was like almost frenzied i would say like that that's what it felt like watching on the tv um and then that was just ramped up again by the noise and everything that went along with the anthem it was just absolutely superb i think frenzies is a good word but like in a positive way strangely enough not in a fraught or um anxious way i remember we chatted with um Oh, and didn't we? And after the Azerbaijan game at yeah. home, and how the atmosphere had actually been quite tense, um, and I th- there was somehow it was just so right on Tuesday, and I think that stems from obviously everybody being a little more comfortable and a little little more relaxed, um, and as holding the game um, from pretty early on. Uh, but equally, I think one of the issues we've had when we've had these last gasp, you know, one-off games that we've never succeeded at before, they've been at home, ironically. Um, well, depends how you view Anfield, but they've been yeah. at home. And um, I think the tension in the crowd has perhaps played its part. And somehow we got over that on Tuesday. Somehow it was a incredibly positive energy throughout and I do think the fans need congratulating for that and it started with the anthem I agree and then you know it just went and went and went from there and you know we talked about the 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 first goal there I think it was scored after 11 minutes or something like that and it was almost like everyone's in kind of I wouldn't say party mode straight away but I think it was just a bit like right this is what we are capable of like we can we can cut them apart if we need to and from the second I think they had quite a strong five minutes where they kind of controlled the ball a little bit didn't really do much with it but controlled the ball and then from there we were just like right we've got the ball now you've had your chance stop dicking around it's time for us to get going and that's exactly what we did there were just five minutes we put our foot on the gas and there was just no stopping Um, and that that cross was absolutely superb the header from Ramsey itself was absolutely brilliant um, almost as amusing as um, people thinking it was Kiefer Moore who scored. Um, people chanting his name over and over again. They just assumed that a towering header in the yes. box had to be him. And they were singing so loud, apparently, they in the Canton stand, they missed the announcement of the, that it was Ramsey rather than Moore. So people just carried on singing it, um, which I uh, enjoyed massively. Uh, and, you know, the noise that accompanied that. And from there on in, it was just, you know, with the exception of the, of, the, of the Hennessy save, which we'll come to next, it was a fairly, it was just a bit of a cruise, I would say, to an extent. Um, obviously, we can't not talk about the Hennessy uh, double save. Some slightly kind of dodgy marking, um, which led to their big lad kind of getting free and putting the header back across. But once it done so, Hennessy anticipated and reacted to the first strike brilliantly. And the same with the rebound, knew where it was going. If you were actually look at the replay, he's kind of halfway to the ground by the time the ball actually gets to the second guy for the for his strike. Just a brilliant double save. And whilst it was the only thing he had to do in the whole game, really, he it was vital that he did it. Um, 
you know, I would have hated to have seen what would have happened and changed in the atmosphere or whatever else if they had equalised because it was kind of sloppy defending. But uh, just a brilliant double save. Yeah, the first one in particular is is very strong. And I think the, the vital timing of that can't be underestimated. If they'd have got a goal back then, we'd have got more nervous. The, you know, that might have been reflected in the atmosphere. Their confidence would have grown. Um, I mean, it is interesting that across the game as a whole, they had substantially more possession than us. It doesn't feel like that when you recall the game, but you know, they were up in the high 50% uh, of the possession, and yet they were able to do so little with it. And the fact that we're talking about that save from Hennessy is an indication of just how little they were able to do with it, because it's the only really defensive aspect of the game that, that we need to need to mention. Uh, so I think uh, I, I had to laugh at um, the chanting from the canton. I love the fact that they were so into it and the header was so impressive that it couldn't have been anybody else but Kiefer Moore. I thought that was just like, I mean, Ramsey must take great kudos from that, the fact that he was mistaken for Moore on that header. Yeah, for, for a six foot um, five man. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, I agree, and it was a great header. You know, like we've said, everything about that was uh, was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and then after after Hennessy save, we just again just kind of felt like we just saw the game out. Like you said, we didn't really give them much of the ball, but when they did have the ball, they didn't really do much with it. Kind of the mm-hmm. the new way we kind of sit off and kind of defend our half almost uh, was great, and it was interesting to see that kind of develop a little bit because I felt we did just defend our half, but there were times where obviously there's some sort of trigger or some sort of signal and where the ball was in a certain part of the pitch or with a certain player and the players came out and really pushed and pressed and kind of won the ball back high up the pitch um, and the energy that the front four or so showed was was great and you know I talk about Kiefer Moore's feet earlier but he, he's actually quite fast when you look at him mm-hmm. the ground he covers and the way he gets around the pitch um, I, I thought was great um, but yeah saw the first half out very very well and at half time i i wouldn't say i thought it was in the bag but i was i, I wasn't you know particularly concerned just because of the way we'd played and then of course we have a lightning start to the second half and ramsey again and that was it then really we, you know party time the songbook got an air in um and it was just a fantastic 45 minutes of football until the bloody police turned up and ruined it for me for five minutes. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, what you know, great ball in from the left-hand side, um, great header by Moore to, to get the assist, assuming that Mepham didn't touch it, and then, you know, wonderful finish. Did, do you think Mepham got a touch? I kind of watched it about 300 times, and I'm still not sure if he did or he didn't. I'm actually... I think they both got a touch he and the defender like the ball kind of sandwiched between them is how i'm seeing it um which would mean he wasn't offside (laughs) we'll take that there you go no need for var ladies and gentlemen we have uh, solved that particular issue we didn't need 30 seconds or 25 replays he's not offside um i just just wanted to go back uh, a little bit because i thought we we were very professional controlled the match and really ramsey could have had a hat trick he had a the rebound from the um, from someone shot in the second half where he could have made it three and other players have had kind of half chances as the game has gone on as well. Um, I just I think it's worth mentioning at this point just the way we played. 
because I, I talked about there, and I've, I, I did a blog recently um, straight after the match, which thank you for everyone who's read, read that, by the way. We've had huge numbers on that, which is uh, incredibly great. Incredibly great, incredibly nice, just incredible. Anyway, um, it was it, it was amazing. And, and I, I, I say that because I think, you know, I was very easy to, to criticise gigs. I think we both were. Um, and I think that he deserves credit, not just for the calls he's making, because... You know, it's easy to make a big call and it come off because it's come off. It only doesn't get the criticism if it if it doesn't doesn't work. So I say it's not easy to make that decision. But anyway, the point I'm making is is that he should get decision uh, credit for those decisions, but he also should get credit for the respect in the way we play. And by that I mean we don't have to be this rip roaringly entertaining team. I I certainly don't watch football to be entertained all the time, especially when it comes to Wales. I just want to win. And at 2-0, if someone had told me that's the end of the match, you're all going home, Wales are qualified, I wouldn't be, you know, crowing, oh, I've missed 40 minutes of the match there. I'd just be absolutely delighted. Um, so I think he deserves credit for getting the absolute best out of the players and finally deciding on a system that suits every single one of them. And obviously, Kiefer Moore's hold-up play is a good example. The way Morel kind of buzzes around the pitch, holds things up, breaks things up, but gives the ball to the people who can do the best things with it. And that in itself allowed Joe Allen, I thought, who was phenomenal on the night. He was absolutely brilliant for for him to kind of roam forward a bit, allowed him to press a bit higher up the pitch. Then when he had the ball, he was able to do a bit more and kind of go and support Bale and Ramsey and leave Morel to just do that that job he's so effective at of just kind of sweeping up. And all of those are tactical changes and, and coaching changes and setup changes that Giggs has made. And I think he deserves massive, massive credit for that, for setting a system, um, working it out and getting the players to perform the, to the best of their ability in, their, in that system. Do the things that good at, not make them do other things because that's how he wants to play. I think he's learned from that first year with the benefit of hindsight and he's done something which I think has made a massive, massive difference. And I thought those last two games would have been classic Wales territory to cock it all up. But instead, we were efficient, we were professional, we were organised, we were clinical pretty much. I, I, it was almost bizarre, in fact, in how unstressful it was. I mean, I was everyone was nervous, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't like I was chewing my fingernails off. I mean, 47 minutes into that match, we're, you know we're booking flights you know it was it was that it was that sort of thing so uh, i think massive credit goes to, should go to him and the way he's kind of adapted and the way he's making us play as well can't disagree but i'm gonna have a but <laughs> oh god i just want the record to show I that i was I mean, really what's... complimentary there you go thank you <laughs> um i agree in the last four games he's made some really brave decisions whether it's bringing Mepham in and not Lockyer, um, giving the reins at the front to you know a guy that's playing for Wigan and barely scoring, um, that's undoubtedly an example of him learning from the earlier games, looking at what we can and can't do and applying it. My concerns would be that it really took us so long to get to that point. Um, I don't think we can naively kind of have a revisionist history about how bad things were 
after the June games, for example. Can I just interrupt you there and one I, sec, just to ask a bit of a, yeah. a devil's ad- advocate question? Yeah. You say like it did take him a while to get to get things together, which I think is fair. Yeah. Um, but and you don't want to have a revisionist history, which I th- also think is fair. By the same token, let's not forget that Chris Coleman and Gary Speed both had very very poor starts to their regime and i appreciate gigs had the relative freedom of a year with the nation's league to kind of have semi-competitive games and do what he wants but do you not think that all of our managers who have had any sort of success in the last few years have come in had a slow start had to do things their way it's not like coleman walked in and said right lads we're playing five at the back this is how we're going to play we're going to stick get bail up there and blah 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 like that took time to get to that decision i think speed lost four of his first five games in charge or something before the corner was kind of turned there. So do you think that maybe we're being, we're still being a bit harsh on him unnecessarily because everyone is going to take time to implement their system? Yes and no. I think if, if the system had been the system at the start of these qualifiers and we were just somewhat inept at applying it, that would be different than having folks who clearly aren't strikers, you know, Brooks, for example, playing up front. I mean, that just was not going to work. And I don't disagree with you. I think that we have to be mindful of the fact that it's it was a project to get us to this point. And he got us to this point successfully. And I, I'm not I don't want to sound churlish because that is an amazing achievement. Um, I just have been a bit perturbed, I think, over the last 48 hours about the level of kind of, um, yeah, revisionist, as I said, that's that's going on. Where I think he genuinely should get an amazing amount of credit is for navigating us through Tuesday's game. We have had what, half a dozen similar opportunities at least where we've had a one-off home game with some of our best managers over the years and we haven't got through it. You know, Hughes, Mike Smith, Mike England, Terry Yorath, Chris Coleman, they didn't do what what Giggs managed to do on Tuesday and was get us through a sudden death game we had to win. Um, and I think he deserves all the praise and the plaudits and our gratitude for that. Um, hopefully it's a, a voodoo that we're now the other side of. What I don't think we should lose sight of, and I think it applies to Coleman's reign, it applies to what happened with Gary Speed, that we didn't get from there to here without upheaval. And I think what the important thing is, is that you learn through those upheavals and it looks like he has it doesn't mean that we weren't justified in questioning him being at a Comic-Con event one weekend and then we performed the way we did in those June games. Do you know what I mean? I don't think it's unreasonable that people had questions about that. I, and I think Thankfully, that's fair. And I think he has learned lessons learned, lessons learned and we've moved forward and we are where we wanted to be. And nothing's going to change the joy we all have in that. No, I, I think you're absolutely right uh, in what you're saying there, and I, I, I'm not trying to be revisionist per se. I, I think I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to. I think 
I think if we'd have looked back on all of those mistakes, Albania away and Hungary away, and we hadn't qualified, then I think we could be rightly right to say, well, this has been a shambles. The fact that he has learnt things from those games mm-hmm. and we have qualified is does lend itself, I guess, to being revisionist in the sense that we do have to look back and see those losses and those issues as part of the problem that he solved mm-hmm. to get us where we have. So I do, I do know what you mean. It's, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a difficult one, and I do think a lot of it is just there's a lot of um, people, us included, I think, was so dead against gigs that we kind of looked for any opportunity we could almost to, to find a, an issue with him. And I think I said this on like a couple of pods ago. I think we've just got to get to the point now where we're past it. And I think he's not going to be perfect. Coleman did things that weren't perfect. There were people calling for Coleman's head halfway through that 2018 campaign. Um, so I, I think I think we've got to get to the point now where he has achieved something that only one other person has achieved, and that's get us to qualify for a tournament. So as a consequence, his achievement, I think, is 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 enormous. And for me, I think he deserves huge credit for that and I think there's a lot of humble pie being uh, being eaten certainly for me as and I <laughs> a lot of people who commented on the blog on Facebook and uh, on the Welsh football fans website um telling me to eat humble pie as regular listeners to the <laughs> podcast so I did reply to all of those and tell them I was fairly full but uh, I will keep eating that humble pie don't worry um scenes at the end I think were unbelievable the the noise and the songs and the the dancing around and the just like seeing gigs with tears in his eyes and the 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 camaraderie and I I enjoyed Bale's kind of walk around kind of picking up the Hungarian players shows his humility um not the arrogance that the Spanish press seem to think of but um fantastic and just unbelievable moments and I don't know about you but I was in absolute floods of tears yep which is somewhat embarrassing given where I was but you know that's what it is <laughs> I think for us that's very much par uh, for the course no I mean days. I think I think that uh, being able to share that at home was really important um there's you know a lot of people there who have been through the worst of times uh, with this team, uh, and uh, to see to see the joy uh, and to be able to share that was was amazing. I think your point about Bale, and I think Giggs was doing the same as well, wasn't he? Going around the Hungarian players, um, I think I think it shows that you can be, you know, amongst the world's most successful players, and you it doesn't mean you don't appreciate uh, the hardship that uh, that that result puts on a country that, you know, is going to be a host country and would have been desperate to um, desperate to um, have had some games at home. No, I agree. And I, and I, you know, I think if they get a home game in the, in the playoffs, then I think there'd be, you know, a, a threat to anyone, as you say, kind of very, very keen to, to qualify and get there. Um, talking about Bale there, we kind of have to mention, I guess, and I don't really want to spend much time on this because I don't think it deserves huge airtime, but the Wales Golf Madrid thing has be kind of become, depending on your perspective, either hilarious or pathetic. Um, 
and them all dancing around with the with the flag and and Bale singing in a song and dancing around and there's a, like a 20 second clip where you can see that he's dancing around and all of a sudden there's a look that comes over his face thinking oh John I'm not sure I'm not sure how good an idea this is but of course by that point it's uh, it's too late um I have my own opinion on this but what uh, what is your take on this and what do you think in terms of um, the reaction from that I've heard from Madrid to him being, you know, seen with that flag and things. I mean, it's not like he stands there and uh, holds the flag particularly or, you know, it, it's a team celebration. It's not particularly him. Um, I don't think it's going to help the situation in Madrid. Um, and I think in some respects that it might have been a little naive uh, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to expect Bale to be thinking these things through in that in that moment. Um, the, the the situation in Madrid is clearly broken, and it looked like it was salvageable. It looked like there were some bridges that could have been built at the at the start of this season, but I think those have been washed away in the events of the last two or three weeks. And I, my concern for us, for Wales, is that if he goes back to Madrid and they just make life difficult for him and he's, he's unhappy, is he doesn't play well for us when he's unhappy. Uh, so that's actually where my concerns lie. I think that's a very good point. Although I did see today that one of the players, I think it was Vasquez, 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 um, dropped a weight on his foot and broke his foot. So when you consider Ooh. their other injuries and the fact that Eden Hazard is not playing particularly well for Real Madrid, I just think they can't afford to not give him game time at the moment. How the fans and whatever else will take that, I think, is is a is a different question. But I do just want to put a bit of context on on things. I was listening to um, the On the Continent podcast um from the football ramble this morning on my walk to work because they were they were talking about this and do you know what it is naive and i think equally by saying naive implies that it was kind of almost thoughtless whereas i actually think in a way he's kind of almost considered in in his actions and the way he does this because he knows that he shouldn't touch the flag so he stands behind it kind of keeps out of the way while still kind of dancing around and jumping around and i think he knows he's going to get in trouble but equally he doesn't care and everyone's saying, you know, they're paying him this much a week and everything else, so he should be respectful to, to his employers. Do you know what? Yeah, they, they do pay him a lot of money, and he should be respectful to him, his employers. By the same token, no one forced Real Madrid to pay however much money. I've heard, you know, up to 600 grand a week. No one forced Real Madrid to give him a new contract a couple of years ago. You know, if they thought he was crap and was more focused on golf and were worried about his lack of Spanish skills, which I think, from what I understand, is a myth anyway then why do they give him the contract? They've given him the contract. He's a bloody good player. He's scored wonder goals in Champions League's finals. He's the first person in the history to come out of the, of the tournament to come off the bench um, and score two goals in a Champions League final. So, you know, let's not pretend that he's a rubbish player and he's, you know, he shouldn't be, he's being big for his boots. You know, he's won the biggest tournaments in football. He's won them for Real Madrid. He's scored goals of the highest quality in the highest pressure situations. And that's not just a Champions League. You know, that wonder goal he scored years ago against Barcelona in the Copa del Rey. You know, he has earned his right to be paid that much money. 
So I just don't think that's an argument for me. The second thing is, is that all of this has come from a journalist, former former player, um, uh, being a, a bit of a dick to all intents and purposes and saying this comment. And it's just kind of run and run and run. And yeah, like I say, it is a, it's, it's a daft thing to do. He's certainly not helped himself. But equally, if you in any job were told by your manager, by your boss, we don't want you here anymore, we're going to try and get rid of you, well, I think you're, you're within your rights to be pissed off. Equally, if you've got fans chasing your car down the street and kicking your car and throwing stuff at you and saying all sorts about your family, then I think you've got a right to be pissed off. So, yeah, he hasn't helped himself, and I think he knows exactly what he's doing, and I think he knows exactly what he's done. And I also don't think he gives a shit, and why should he? Because these people have treated him so badly, and he will go back to Real Madrid now. I saw a picture of him in training today. He'll go back. I'm sure he'll be involved. He'll be booed when he's on the bench, and he'll be booed if he comes on the pitch, I'm sure, no doubt. And do you know what? He doesn't care, and why should he? I think for all the money he's being paid, I think the argument that he could just quit and go somewhere else is absolutely nonsensical because he, he shouldn't need to do that. For every mistake he's made, there is a reason for that. He's been put in that position by the club, by the fans, by the way he's treated by other people. You know, the goalkeeper coming out and saying, oh, we call him the golfer because he's more bothered about the golf. What a dick. You know, why has Courtois done that? So there's this whole agenda against him for whatever reason, completely unfounded in my opinion, and... There's a lot of people who don't really understand the situation um, or don't want to have an understanding of the situation, just throw in, you know, soundbite comments about the place. And as far as I'm concerned, they, Real Madrid, deserve all the shit and flack they get from this. And, you know, someone needs to start fundraising to build Gareth Bale's statue outside in the middle of Cardiff somewhere, as far as I'm concerned, holding the Wales Golf Madrid flag, if anything. I think it's absolutely preposterous. And I think people are accusing him of all sorts. Obviously, don't know him. Um, don't know what he's like. And don't know how much he obviously cares about playing football with his mates and playing football for his country. And I think people need to have a long, hard look and look at look at themselves if they think that he's arrogant and has got an attitude problem and all this other stuff. Absolute nonsense. And that is my rant over. I think the key thing that's been lost in this is that he did not say that. That was a comment by someone else exactly. about him. People have then run with it. People have made flags and chants and all that sort of thing. Um, he has never actually indicated that kind of hierarchy. That's, it, he may have intimated it, but he's, ne you know, he's never actually said this comes first. And in fairness, in the interviews earlier in the week, he tried to make the point that he just wants to be fit to play for whoever he should be turning out for on a Saturday, you know, whether it's Wales or, or Real. Um, so I think we, I think the problem is we see it in that context. It's, it's going to be very difficult to see it in that context for a, a Real Madrid fan. Um, and I think the momentum is building so much there that I don't think he's, I don't think he's long for Madrid I think he's going to go somewhere in January, even if it's short term on loan mm -hmm. somewhere just to get out of there. Um, I think he's going to go and then I think he'll make a permanent move in the summer at some point, I think. Um, he can't. It's not sustainable anymore. The, the ship has sailed on all of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
to, to move on, we have had a lot of questions in, so thank you very much to everyone's questions, for everyone's questions, sorry. I'm going to rattle through a few of these, Ruth, and if I could have uh, your quick responses rather than our usual wanderings. Uh, the first one is from... I, I can't promise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I say that like I'm very concise. Um the first one is from at Dan Roberts eleven on Twitter. Thank you for the message, Dan, who says, "Were we to make a combined side for 2016, and then what we think a team could be for 2020? What would it be, and who would be in it?" Ooh, ooh. Um, I think we're safe to say we can have Hennessy you know, in goal. I think you know. I think right now, right now, I would take the 2016 team at their best. What, all in with no think, switches? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Because you'd keep those centre-backs. And, and I think it's difficult, to, it's difficult to make a comparison when we were a five at the back versus a four at the back because there isn't a ready kind of, oh, well, I'd take A over B kind of scenario, is there? I know um, what you mean. But I think, I think us at our best in 2016 is probably better than what we have seen thus far of this crop. I think in the long term, I, these guys could be playing better football. Would they be more successful? You know, you've got, we, we so, so, you know, over, in inverted commas, overachieved in 2016 that... I think it's incredibly difficult for any team to come close to ever even emulating that and certainly not surpassing that. So it's difficult then, isn't it, to 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 measure things in terms of what do we mean by success, you know, what is success at that point? Um, so I think right now I'd just take the 2016 team. Well, there you go. The core, for me, the core, the core people are still the same. It's still Allen and Ramsey and Bale, Hennessy, Davies. You know, they are the they are the glue in both of those teams, aren't they? They are. I think the difference for me is I, th- I generally I, I I agree with you. I think and 2016 Gareth Bale is definitely better than 2020 or 2019 mm-hmm. Gareth Bale. The only thing I would argue with is I think. I don't know how, and I don't know how it would work. And you know, this is, this could be a podcast on its own, actually. But I would <laughs> I would put Dan James in there because his, his pace terrifies people. I would also say that I think we have a stronger bench now than what we had then, and and certainly a stronger squad. I think in the squad at that time there were certain players, and I don't want to name names, who maybe got in because we needed to take twenty three. And whereas in this, I think you have to you'll have to do you'll, there's some going to make the 23 if that makes sense so I, I do think we've got a stronger squad right now and a stronger bench than we did then um but yes definitely agree with that definitely agree with that um, um and i think that in the longer term might ultimately be what is the difference between the two the two uh classes of i agree especially looking forward to 2022 as well which is obviously the world cup in guitar mm-hmm. um just to try and roll through a few of these. I've written this Twitter name down and now I really can't say it. Um, quickly, how should we approach the friendlies before the tournament? Do we think we should try different lineups and formations uh, in case a key player gets injured and we need to change the system? Or do we stick with the system and find alternative players who can fit into it? And that is from 
Elock Nye one two three on Twitter. I'm so sorry if I've said your name wrong. Someone I also called someone Saul last week, uh, last time instead of Saul. Saul. So yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why I, I gave us, gave him like a, a Brazilian flair, but I apologise. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I apologise on Twitter, so I will apologise in person as well. Um, I, I think for me, I think we've got to find, if we're worried about players who can't work the system, then I think we've got to stick with the same system. I can't. I don't think we have. We can have 10 systems just to, you know, if in case someone gets injured. I think we've got to stick with the system because it's taken us such a long time to get to the system that we've got, that it's effective. And I think we need to look at other players who can fit into that system as a plan B rather than if Kiefer Moore's injured, we're going to play five at the back type of thing. And I, I appreciate that's not the, you know, what um, Elok Nye is, uh, is suggesting, but uh, I, I'm just giving it, giving it an example there. Yeah, I think system has to come first. One of the problems earlier on in the campaign was playing players, not playing a style. Um, and I wouldn't want us to go back to that. Uh, I do think we have to, uh, particularly the number nine role is what do we do there? Um, because the options we have currently are very, perhaps some folks aside, but are very different styles of players than keep for more. Um, so I do think there needs we need to work out what that means for us. Um, if we need to change things up, we're chasing a game, someone's injured. Uh, but I wouldn't want to see us messing horribly with the system but we do have to we do have to have plan b scenarios uh ready and uh, ready to go i agree I, I think maybe we can maybe look at doing something where you know we change something for 20 minutes because that's a scenario we might need but rather than kind of starting a game with that new system or, or something like that. yeah um yeah agreed okay so uh, one, well, I say one more. We've got a few more. I want to rattle through them as quick as we can. Um, do we think that Rob Page's introduction uh, to the Wales setup, obviously replacing uh, Oshan as number two to all intents and purposes, has been important? And that is from uh, Welsh football fans. Please go and support us and Welsh football fans, by the way, at Welsh football underscore um, uh, Welsh football fans dot com website and uh, Facebook pages and so, so much more. Where there's a load of us uh, putting out all sorts of different content on Welsh football. There is my plug done. Ruth, uh, over to you. Do you think Rob's uh, introduction has been important? I think it is important as we have so many players that are technically still under 21 squad uh could be under 21 squad members. I think that connectivity is important. I think one of the things that concern me um, with gigs along the way has been some of the the slips and the trips that kind of indicate there might not have been the level of joined up thinking that we've had in some um, earlier management groups, you know, for example, not knowing that Mepham and, and Roden had play together in the under 21s and and the strange comments about you know James's acting and head injury and things like that so I think by having Paige there it has perhaps given a level of continuity that we might not have had if if an assistant had been someone who'd come in from outside um, FAW so I think that part of it perhaps is important and um and moving people up the age, behind that, moving the coaches up the age groups, again, might not have seemed the most obvious thing to, to have done, but it, but it does seem to have worked thus far. 
I, um, I would agree. I, I wasn't entirely all yeah. for it. I felt like he was maybe just the best Welsh, but the, the, the nearest Welsh person mm-hmm. there. But it seems to have worked. And I, I, I agree with you. Bringing people up from the 21s has obviously been effective um, and has obviously had a positive impact. So you can't really complain. I still am not entirely convinced that he would have had more or less of an impact than Oshan had um, in terms of the joined up thinking per se. So I don't think it's a massively important thing. By the same token, if it's something that has made gigs feel comfortable, um, having someone who knows those younger players better then you know it obviously has had an impact because of the impact that those players have had coming in mm-hmm. so it's hard it's hard to say it isn't important but I also don't think it's uh, something that's been that extra 10% we needed if that makes sense no it does it does um, one more from Welsh football um, which is and I did say to Lawrence or Alex, whoever sent this in, they are risking making Ruth cry by asking this question. So if, if Ruth does tear up, it's their fault. Um, does Chris Gunter risk missing out if he doesn't leave Reading in January? I think it's a risk. Um, equally, I mean, we've talked about the fact that he's been in the squad up until now because there isn't, a, um, a really obvious um, other right back once you get past Connor Roberts. And even Connor Roberts isn't playing all the time for, for Swansea at the minute. So it might be a case that we don't have a, a huge deal of choice in that particular position. Um, but clearly, I think just for his own kind of zeitgeist, just for his own self, he, he needs to be playing football. So I'd love to see him move from from Reading if uh, things are going to continue to not work out there. I agree. I think he does have to move. Um, By the same token, I think we are lacking in depth in that particular area. So I think he... I don't think I wouldn't say it doesn't matter, but I I think he does need to move. But I also think that if he doesn't move, I still think he'll make the squad. Um, By the same token, I just think for his career... Uh, he needs to move and I, and I think he will um, uh, in January I'm, I'm sure that is kind of being worked out for him as we speak so I'm confident he'll move and I think he does need that to guarantee his place in the squad but I think just through a lack of alternatives he'll probably end mm-hmm. up there although I will say which does lead into the next question from the 94th minute um, which was which player do you think could surprisingly make the twenty man, twenty three man squad for the Euros? The the one I was thinking because of the the Gunter situation plus the fact that Connor Roberts isn't playing regularly for the Swansea uh, for Swansea sorry at the moment he's started um, a lot of games on the bench in the last couple of weeks. Um, I wouldn't be surprised just his performance for the 19s and the fact that he's made his full debut for Liverpool now in a cup game to see Neko Williams. Um, he's a he's a right back. He can he's obviously young, he's exciting, um, and if he were to go on and have a bit of a breakthrough season, playing a bit more for Liverpool in the cups, um, especially that kind of messy period they've got where they're playing the World Club Cup and the Carabao Cup, I think it is, or FA Cup, whatever, where they've got that kind of clash of fixtures, I could see him getting more game time there. You know, he ends up doing well in those games, gets a, a January uh, loan move somewhere, has a great second half of the season. When you're looking at the fact that maybe Roberts isn't playing all the time, maybe Gunter isn't playing all the time, uh, Giggs does love a young player, loves a gamble. I could see him being the one who might make that 
uh, make be the surprise candidate, if you like. Yeah, no, I think Nico Williams is a good a good shout there. He's obviously on Klopp's radar. I think he's you know he's he's getting to the point where he's going to go and start getting some, as you say, perhaps only cup level play, but he's starting to get some play with Liverpool. Um, I'm not sure it's a it would be a surprise choice, but I think if Tom Bradshaw keeps playing the way he's been playing lately, he's got to be in consideration, um, even though he seems to have been overlooked of late. I think you're right, and especially we're talking about what the plan B could be. Um, mm-hmm. That that suggests that, I, although I would still say in Giggs's mind, Tyler Roberts is further up the pecking order um, than Bradshaw, but even so, that uh, that possibility is there, right? I agree with you on that one. Um, Ellis MPJ has asked, does Joe Morrell deserve to start in midfield following his last two performances or should Ampadu come back in even though he has been having much fewer minutes? I think the fewer minutes might come into play as we go deeper into the German season because I suspect his minutes will increase as we get deeper into that season. So it might not be such an obvious um, choice between between the two of them, if you're just looking at it from a playing time point of view. As we were saying earlier, and it was it was the point you made after after the game on Tuesday, I, I do think there's a plus to being able to bring uh, Ampadu on for the last, say, 30, 25, 30 minutes um, and have an energy level from him that would just be outpacing everybody else on the field at that point. Um, and so I, I can see a lot of pluses actually in playing Alan and Morel as the starters, um, and then bringing Ampadu on um, for, you know, half of the second half um, when that energy and verve that he has could could really have an impact. No, I, I agree with that. And it's a difficult one, really. And I think for me, it just comes down to the opposition. I think if there's a team that we need to kind of go at um, and they are going to sit back and kind of make us come on to them so to speak then I think Ampadu's the better player in that sense because of his energy and he can kind of press and he's all action whereas I think Morel in the games where we're going to be kind of pegged back a bit more that sort of shielding role that he possesses uh, I think allows Alan to push on a little bit more uh, when we do have the ball and I think from there I think that suits everyone a bit better so for me it depends which is a complete cop out I know um, it does depend on, on the opposition in my opinion but I, I think Morel would be very unlucky to lose his, his place and I'm sure he's just on a new contract with Bristol City I'm sure he'll be having more of a role to play for them when he comes back from his loan at Lincoln so I think I think his you know things are going in the right direction for him and I think it's a it's a very very good problem to have um, Galois on f- in France uh, have asked uh, will our turnaround over the last six games be enough for us to be competitive at the Euros I'm going to answer that one I, I, I think whilst you're thinking that I, I, I think I think it will just because we've come across a system that's worked for us let's not forget when we qualified last time you know we qualified we fell over the line a little bit in the in the in the sense that we lost in in Zeneca I think we're drawn with Israel at home the game before that we lost the two qualified um the two friendlies in the build-up which I know didn't kind of amount to anything so I, I, I what I mean is that I think now we've got the system I think I, I think it's going to be fine for us and I think 
we are just at a certain level. I think we're kind of, let's be honest, we've got a lot of championship and and maybe even a bit lower players around this kind of sprinkling of world-class players. So I think it's just going to be a case of we're going to go as far as we can go. And I don't think, you know, I think the, the new system just kind of solidifies that idea in my head that we, we are what we are and we're going to go as far as we can get. And I don't think it's a matter of underperforming or overperforming. Um, just more that I think we found the way of getting the maximum out of the players and, uh, and the, in their positions at the moment. And I think as a consequence of that, I think we, we've got enough to, to trouble teams at this tournament. Whether we'll, you know, I'm not suggesting we'll go semi finals again, but I think we've got enough to trouble teams. And so as a consequence, I think we're in a in very good spot, when, especially, you know, players to come back in, in Brooks as well. Um, so I think we're in a very good position. Can't can't disagree. I mean, I think you look at what could happen in the in the different uh, groups for uh, for the Euros, and I think we're going to have to have a, another pod looking just at that because um, I've got some thoughts about, actually, about the whole kind yeah. of Nations League, na- Nations League, and qualifying and that sort of thing. Um, but I think we are in a position to be an awkward team for anybody that we face um, and a better team than some. And I think that's probably about as good as we could we could ask for, really, going into a tournament like that. I, I, I agree. Um, Simon Evans, at Ev76, has said, does David Brooks start on the bench? Does Ashley Williams make the squad? Um, I'm going to be nice and quick with this one. Yes and yes. I think at the minute I would go yes and yes, but it might end up being a yes and a no. Oh, God. I, oh, God. Uh, I, I, I can't does, see Giggs doesn't, Giggs doesn't seem to rate him. Doesn't I, seem to want to play him. I suppose it does depend on what how many defenders he wants to take. I mean, if you look at yeah. Lockyer, Rodden, Mepham are going to be the kind of the main choice at centre half. I think we probably do would need to take a fourth centre half. I, I don't think it's going to be Chester. So by that by that token, I think he kind of he has to. Um, and there's still James Lawrence around there, I guess. Um, I don't know personally. I can't see Ash not coming. I think uh, for whatever value Giggs does or doesn't place in him, I think he does recognise his value to the squad. So I think as a consequence of that, he'll go. He also uh, asked how I, good. Sorry. I don't disagree with that. You'd want him there for the experience. Uh, he also asked how good was Joe Allen. Uh, for me, he was absolutely magnificent on the night, and I know Ramsey got the goals. And I think I said this to you after <laughs> uh, after we talked about it after the match. But I thought Allen was the man of the match for me. I thought he was absolutely phenomenal. I know you have a big soft spot for him. Um, he was phenomenal. I mean, he, was, he just keeps pulling out. Yeah I, yeah, I do. Keeps pulling out these 11 out of 10 performances, doesn't he? <laughs> I like that. Maybe we should get that on our flag. Still rattling through. Um, David Jarvis, at D underscore Jarvis 21. <laughs> if Bale doesn't play between now and next summer, would he still be an automatic starter? No. Whoa. No. I personally <laughs> think it's a yes. I, think. I don't think he'd be automatic at that point. I don't think he'd be automatic. Would I start him? Yes. But I don't think he'd be an automatic. I don't know, it's like when Yari Lippmann retired from club football to concentrate on his international career. Like, he's so good. That you, I just, you just can't not If he like, did that, if he... 
if he did that, I think my my concern would be that if he's not been playing, is where where his head's at, because he wouldn't be at if he's if he's not playing because it's kind of on his terms, the way it was with Vartanen. I think that's one thing. But if Real Madrid have spent spend the next six eight months just making things horrible for him, then if he's not in a good place. He doesn't play well, so that's what for me. That's why it might not be an automatic. For me, I just think at that point. For me, I just think he would end up playing the the friendlies in the build up to the tournament. Have three games, maybe four games in the build up to the tournament, um, and then I reckon Bailey and Bailey be kind of back to his best. So for me, and I, I just can't see a way that he drops him. But then again, I thought Azerbaijan Ramsey was going to start. So what do I know? Um, Callum. I just think it's something Sorry. you'd have to, you'd have to stop and think and stop and think about. And if you're stopping and thinking about it, you you're not in the automatic category. No, that is true. That is true. Um, Callum Howen has asked, "Will Joe Ledley ever play for Wales again?" Uh, I like the man a lot, but I, uh, he's not even in the same stratosphere. I don't think anymore as uh, as, as the other midfielders. Um, and the, the interesting one here is once Hennessy packs it in, who could be Wales's number one? And I say that's interesting because I know Danny Ward sounds like the obvious answer, but he's not playing anymore. Would we do you think we're therefore looking at King at Newport as being the next person lined up to be number one at, at the moment, purely on the basis he's playing a lot? I just think that's it's almost too abstract a question because you don't know what time you, line you're looking at for that. You don't know what. Um, uh, what other players may or may not be doing at the time so um, I I think it would under the current circumstances you'd still be looking at Danny Ward but I I I think it's a bit it's a bit too out there as a question because you could be talking about something that happens in 18 months you could be talking something that's four or five years away still um Obsession Football also sent us another one which says, Do you did, did any of us see a scenario where players from Lincoln, Charlton and Wigan kickstart our campaign? <laughs> uh, I think it's a bit more of a rhetorical question, but uh, I absolutely did not see us uh, having that situation happen. But uh but there you go. Um I think we might well I, I think I'm done. Are you done? Yeah, I think I've actually got quite a lot of thoughts about the, the the whole sort of qualifying process and the role of the Nations League and the draw for next week, you know, next week ends draw and things. But I think that might, might be a different pod. Yeah, I think, uh, listeners, we will do a, a pod on the draw and the groups and the uh, horrible corrupt nature of FIFA, <laughs> UEFA, sorry, Um at a, at another time, we are going to have Tash Harding on. Uh, we're hopeful to record with her next week um, to do something about the women's game. We have not forgotten about that. We are going to do a review of the game against Northern Ireland, the nil-nil draw that is coming. That is in the pipeline, but um, we are waiting uh, to just sort that out with Tash so we can um, do that properly and have her take on things. So we have not forgotten about the uh, the women's game. That is absolutely still. 
uh, high on our priority list and it's coming soon. Um, I'd like to point out that we the Racism in Football podcast we did a couple of weeks ago is still up, so if you haven't had a listen to that yet, please do. Please have a read of my blog that I wrote about um, the night we qualified and my uh, groveling in Ruth's word, revisionist apology to Ryan Giggs. Um, and uh, just well done, everyone. I think this is an amazing, amazing thing, which does not come around very often and so exciting to be a part of. And I just can't wait for June. I can't wait to be bankrupt and fly around places and hopefully see something amazing happen again. Um, it's hopefully going to be another amazing summer. So uh, well done. Thank you to all the players, if anyone listens, which I doubt. But um, if anyone does listen, thank you. You've made uh, made us all very, very happy indeed. Ruth, last word to you. No, just echo what you were saying. Looking forward to um, a few months of worrying about injuries, worrying about squads, arguing over who's the 23, uh, which will be fun. And uh, and just can't wait for for June and and hopefully a little bit of July as well. Exactly. I think when we pick a twenty three, that's going to have to be I don't know like a three part podcast special. I think the way we waffle <laughs> and argue about things. Um, so I think uh, yeah, there's at least four podcasts in that. Um, yeah, just like I said, thank you everybody. Um, sorry, one last thing. I did just say last word to Ruth, but uh, I lied. Um, I just want to say a big thank you. Over the last uh, week or so, our numbers on Twitter and stuff like that have gone through the roof and just had loads of um, really nice messages about the podcast and about the blog and just about so many different things. I think by last check, about 1,300 people had read that blog, which is by far and away our biggest numbers. Um, so thank you very much to everyone who's listened, to read, to send us messages and kind of interact with us on, on Twitter and Facebook. We really, really enjoy it. And uh, and thank you very much for that as well. So we say bye then? Do you think we've waffled enough? We have threatened to say goodbye for 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> so I just I, no, I just think no one, wants, no, I, no one wants to not talk about this. That's the thing, I think. <laughs> Even though we've talked about it so much over the last few days, I think we everyone just wants to keep going. Not that everyone wants to listen to us. Anyway, um, I will stop. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, and we will be back in touch soon, hopefully, as we plan a trip to Rome, Baku, Copenhagen, St. Petersburg, and everywhere else in between. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye-bye.